Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Back here for another edition of Six Rings and Football Things, Gillette Stadium style with our weekly chat with one of the Patriots beat writers. This week, it's the big boy on the beat, the uh, PFWA, Presidente, El Presidente. We have Andrew Callahan from the Boston Herald. Andrew's been a guest before. I know we've talked in the offseason in the past. So figured I'd go to you, Andrew, because it uh, feels like a big week when people are calling for Bill Belichick to be fired and Mac Jones to no longer be the quarterback of the Patriots. Um very open-ended question. Where do you stand on those two storylines? <laughs> uh, first of all, I like to pivot back from big boy to El Presidente. That was a nice save by you. Uh, and it's, it is a big week. I'll put it this way. Because the way I saw the Dolphins game and then the Jets and the Cowboys was those were the biggest possible games you could have in weeks two, three, and four. This is true of the Saints game. But I think even in week five, it's bigger than week five. Because you go to one and four you're kind of going through the motions. And at that point, you're risking losing buy-in. I think Mac Jones right now, we can't have a bigger picture conversation because of something that happened on Sunday. Like That game was the, probably the worst of his career. I don't think that changes the fact whether he was the guy or not. Like To me, there's little evidence to suggest that he is. But what are their better options? You cut your backup quarterback. So like you're just kind of stuck, whether it's with injuries, whether it's with Mac or the roster that Bill built. And it's unfortunate, but you, you just have to win Sunday and then move, move from there. So am I wrong in that within the first month, I believe we've seen the best and the worst of Mac Jones. I thought in the second quarter against the Eagles, those two touchdown drives, I think it was like 11 straight completions. I thought he looked as productive and comfortable in this offense as he has at maybe any point in his career. And then I fast forward three weeks later in the second quarter in Dallas. Uh, the term I keep using is melted down. I thought he melted down, had some sort of out-of-body experience. Bill uh, O'Brien said uncharacteristic. What the hell happened? What the hell's the difference between those two weeks? So it's his play under pressure. I mean, I, I was writing going into the Dallas game, hey, there's this one real big jump Mac has made. When you look at all of the different categories, some of the deeper metrics, the basic stuff, he's largely the same guy, except when he has a rusher in his face. And because he was able to play through pressure in a way he never did in 2022, he's the worst quarterback in the league under pressure against the Eagles, Dolphins, and then the Jets, they either got back into those games because of him and playing against that pressure uh, and came up just short, or they held on and beat the Jets and scored their only touchdown, but because the play before Farrell Brown's rumbling 58 yards, Mack delivers his sideline throw to Mario Douglas and gets crushed by Quinn Williams. He wasn't doing that a year ago. He obviously didn't do it Sunday. What happened to me was, and we just heard from him at the podium, he got sped up and felt like he needed to force things because the pressure was getting to him. He allowed it to get to him, and everything changed after the strip sack. And from then on, the next four drives were all killed because he couldn't handle pressure. Two pass breakups, one thrown into the teeth of a Cowboy safety on the sideline before halftime. We're like, just throw it on the ground. The ground's right here. Uh, another pass break, I'm going to drag throw to Devontae Parker, an interception, and they go three and out. So it, it's, that's what happened, is the pressure built up, not within the game, but I think over the first three and a half weeks, and he just couldn't take it anymore. So I always like to let people know my biases. Uh, I'm a Bill O'Brien guy. I like Bill O'Brien. I think he's a really competent, experienced, successful offensive coordinator. 
he's starting to take some some blows. There's some criticism coming his way. Uh, my defense of that would be, I think, certainly in the Dallas game, uh, your best player averages two yards a carry, your quarterback uh, melted down, your offensive line stunk, and your receivers are, other than Hunter Henry, non-existent. They don't look professional. I think it's hard to be an offensive coordinator and call plays when you say all those things. But where does Bill O'Brien factor into either the struggles now or where you think the turnaround might come from? So I think, like we saw from Mac Jones, the Dallas game was his worst game that we've seen yet. And you look at specifically how the players are being utilized. Let's take, for example, Mike Kosicki. When he signed, we're all writing the same thing. This is a big slot receiver that we call a tight end, but that's really it. He's he's a tight end in name only. He's been run blocking at a higher rate, and including in the Dallas game, through four weeks than he ever did in Miami. I don't know why. And when you look at the tape of that Dallas game, he's sometimes serving as a lead blocker. Okay, another tight end that's out there. Farrell Brown, 22 offensive snaps for your third string tight end. Demario Douglas, your best receiver against man coverage, had 18. And when you look at Demario Douglas against man coverage, he had the 42-yard catch, beat his man, great. The other Patriots receivers had three catches versus man-to-man. That speaks partly to scheme, obviously their lack of talent, but when you look at the players that Bill O'Brien has to use in the offensive line, like it is what it is. He's been scheming around this since August. It's it's still not good enough because 30th in the league in EPA or 31st in the league in scoring speaks to a failure on every single person's part, whether you're on the sideline or on the field. I know you've been big on the um, and and the the beat as a core fans as a core this uh, latching on to when Bill Belichick says the opposing quarterback can make all the throws. <laughs> so I want to flip that the other way. Uh, Rex Ryan was back doing his pea shooter thing on ESPN. Second time in I believe four weeks now I've listened to a national analyst because Nate Burleson went down the same road. I believe at halftime one of the games said, you know, Mac, just throw it in the middle of the field. You can't throw outside the numbers. That's not your throw. Don't do it. Is there a certain aspect of Mac's physical play, which we talked about pre-draft? I mean, if you remember pre-draft, there was like, is he a third-round talent? Is he a first-round pick? Then he was the third overall pick, and then he was back to the 15th pick, that whole thing. But there were questions about his physical ability, and can he make the throws? Are we back talking about that? Because I know against Dallas, there were bad decisions. There were bad mechanics, you know, throwing off the back foot, fading away across the field, different things. Do you believe, as a good thing, Mac Jones can make all the throws. Uh, I do not, uh, because in it's you know we don't even have to go for the geography of the field. Can you throw outside the numbers? Are you strictly over the middle of the field? Because anyone who would be you know the biggest Mac stand would pull up clips of like deep balls and throws. Oh, it's outside the numbers. It's over twenty yards downfield. The issue is with the drive throws. Like I need to thread this fifteen to twenty yard out or deep crosser to the opposite hash like that's where you see the lack of drive zip power behind the ball hurt him and ultimately I look at this as okay you need to either have otherworldly arm talent or the ability to get outside the pocket and create plays on your own like you cannot be a pocket bound point guard which he is he's described himself as that with less arm talent because then you can't elevate the offense in a way when it's third down everyone's covered you thread the ball in there anyway arm talent or you get outside the pocket and throw buying your receivers more time He doesn't have either one of those. So there's a hard ceiling on him, which we knew before the draft. You need to be well protected, which the Patriots know and have failed to do. And you need to have elite weapons. He obviously doesn't have either. So, yeah, he bombed. He was the reason they lost Sunday. But the larger roster construction is really giving him, knowing his limitations, no opportunity to succeed in a way where you go, okay, we can win with him. Quarterbacks are sexy. Offenses sell. We know that the story of the game for the Patriots may have been the fact that the defense lost its two best players. Maybe your two 
probably your two best players on the roster yeah. of any position. Matthew Judon, Christian Gonzalez. We had word of the trade for J.C. Jackson, which I think we all saw coming when he was a healthy scratch a couple weeks ago. Maybe not this quickly, but it made sense. Okay, made his money elsewhere, comes back. But where does this defense go from here? Because they were playing well. They were obviously the stronger unit. They were keeping them in games, getting Mac the ball back, whether he could make use of it or not, those types of things. But Matthew Judon has been sort of the lone constant on that defense. He's been good since the day he arrived here. To lose that, to lose his energy, his emotion, and then lose your best cover corner, your rookie standout, does this is this actually a bigger issue that we're not talking about because we're so fixated on Belichick, the roster on offense, and Mac? Yeah, I think so, and it speaks to a larger conversation that's more glaringly obvious on offense, uh, the lack of, let's call them, blue-chip players. On defense, who are your blue-chip players? It's Matt Judon, and now probably, as much as you can tell through three and a quarter games, Christian Gonzalez. Those guys are off the, the board now. Like You're working with a group that is certainly not top five talented defensively, maybe not even top ten, and Belichick can make more with less, obviously, on defense. But how much more chicken salad can you make because I look at JC Jackson as a guy who we all remember pro bowler 8 9 12 15 whatever it was interceptions that season uh he had a lot of them but he was speaking to NFL media last week not only just vented about getting benched in week three he's saying I'm not a hundred percent and maybe that's a guy who yeah Torres uh, Teller uh, Patella tendon last year missed the season ankle injury earlier this year he's playing catch-up or it's an excuse, but either way, this is a player that you can't just say he'll fill in for Christian Gonzalez because you get 70% of Christian Gonzalez and what he was doing. Like, you're still one and three. You're walking a tightrope, and your best player on the team and on this defense is also gone. So I don't see him as some sort of band aid immediately. And if it is, I don't think it'll be in the first few weeks that he's here. He's still getting back into playing shape. And it, it's devastating for, again, a team that had to play. Not perfect, but close to it. No turnovers on offense. No explosive plays on defense. And right now you're 1-3 because Randall Cobb didn't catch a Hail Mary. And that's it. That's the tightrope. So a lot of people, I think, expected 1-3. I think that was a popular record. Some 2-2s. Two and twos. I mean, obviously it ran the gamut. It doesn't feel, even if you expected 1-3, I'm not sure it feels like you thought it would feel after one and three after watching the worst loss of Bill Belichick's career. And we're at the quarter, well, kind of the quarter point. They screwed it up by making 17 games. We're four games into the season. It's a, it's a common time to kind of, okay, self-scout, figure out what's going on with the team. As a media analyst, are you reassessing what you thought this team could be? Where did you have them coming into the year? Where do you see this season going is there a chance it spirals out of control for the negative like where are you assessing this team as we hit October uh yes yes and yes I mean I I, I was a someone who said I think they can make the playoffs I picked them to go nine and eight and came down from ten and seven after watching some things in the preseason but just said Bill O'Brien's going to tighten things up on offense you can win more games just by doing fewer stupid things and they haven't done that yet and the other part about this was I thought they would be two and two so one and three, you look across the league, not everything is made equal. I mentioned the Hail Mary. Like, that was a game they very well could have lost, should never have lost. You just got blown out by 35, something we've never seen in the Bill Belichick era. And as we just touched upon, lost your two best players on the entire roster, or at the very least, very, your defense, as your quarterback regresses to a player that we saw in 2022. Maybe Mac Jones has bounced back. I don't know. But there's no saving grace coming. Like, we saw it on the sweatshirts that Joe Judge handed down the locker room last week, a week too early, saying, it's on us, no one else is coming. A little weird to me after a win. But right now, those sweatshirts fit exactly who they are. Because you get the Saints, you get the Raiders, and then it's Buffalo and Miami. And so, 
I would call this a two-week season. If you don't season these opportunities and at least get to two and four, it's it's a lost year. That's where we are because the season only gets harder from here due to lack of roster talent you lost due to injury and the opponents, which there was no saving grace. There was a saving grace in 2021. You had an easy schedule when you started one and three and then two and four. That that, that help is just not coming, whether they're on another team or on, on your roster right now. So I want to touch on that lost year possibility, but I want to flip the script because I think it's easy to be negative right now. Yeah. It was a hellaciously bad game. Max sucks. The team sucks. They're losing yeah. best players. No, I, I just think that's an yeah. easy narrative to sell. Let's flip that script. Mm-hmm. If I were to believe, yeah, they're going to go on a little run here of two or three wins and get back to survival, get back to swimming and keeping their head above water, what are those reasons going to be? How are they going to beat the Saints, the Raiders, and, and just stay afloat till they get to the middle of the season? It will be uh, through fixing some of the things I mentioned as far as Bill O'Brien goes. Like, stop asking Mike Kosicki to block on almost 35% of his snaps. That's not what he does. He's the worst run-blocking tight end in the league. Play more of Demario Douglas. Like, there's some low-hanging fruit here that they're just not reaching for as they search for their own identity and work out some pinks. Like, Pop Douglas has not been perfect, but when you're – have your most explosive player in offense as a six-round rookie, and you sign up for that, as Belichick has, you need to stomach the growing pains. You just got to live with it. So I think if you play him a little bit more, I think if you look at the Jets tape and go, that defense was as good as we're going to see against the Saints, and it's way better than what they'll face in Vegas next week, play that game. No turnovers on offense. Get a faster start. Screw up less defensively and just play patient. Like, that's it. Just suck less. That's, That's it. And it sounds so trite and obvious and honestly dismissive. But that's your formula right now when you look at this roster because Douglas is your only explosive player. We've said it now three times. You lost Judon and Gonzalez. Like, that's the formula, man. And you just need to survive two weeks because if you get to three and three, they might come out with some receipts. And that's great. Good for you. You seem to have turned your season around. Uh, Buffalo's now the best team in the NFL. And after them, Miami, who scored 70 two weeks ago. And we all know how the Patriots fare in Miami. So you play ugly. You play clean-ish. And just stop doing the stuff that Mac was in Dallas. And I think you can turn it around. It's very possible. Okay, so I, I agree with you on Buffalo. Uh, as I tweeted the other day, I'm seeing less of those. The window is closed for the Bills. And, you know, they missed their chance. They certainly look like they still have a chance um, talent-wise. Miami obviously has shown that they can beat anybody and put a lot of points on the board. And maybe are settling into whatever the Mike McDaniel era is going to be down there. So you're looking uphill, not at Super Bowls, not at, Patrick Mahomes like those aren't even in the 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 radar at this point it's are we good enough to compete in the division and so you you brought up the idea of a lost season it could go down that road it's it's easy to lose in the NFL it's easy to snowball negative we start having really big picture questions obviously we started with it Mac but really it's a Belichick question and I think it's a fair question to have. I know Boomer came on our station a couple weeks ago and was like ah anyone who talks about Belichick being on the hot seat's an idiot I think the more idiotic thing is saying that he wouldn't be on the hot seat, that he has a job for life, that what he did five years ago earns him the right to do something next year. But how do you think Robert Kraft, who is one of the only people that matters, Jonathan's involved in that conversation, how do you think Robert Kraft is feeling these days when he looks at, I think it was 23 million people watch his team get embarrassed on national TV in that afternoon late marquee spot uh, in Dallas in front of Jerry Jones, his frenemy or whatever exactly they are in terms of owner competitors. What's Robert Kraft thinking this week as we you talked about it? Could be one of the more critical weeks of not only this season, but of recent memory. Where's Robert Kraft's mind right now? It's a great question. I think the point about losing 
to Jerry Jones in Jerry Jones Stadium is a good one because that's some of the stuff that factors in for ownership that fans and media generally aren't talking about but matters to him. What's your frame of mind going into that game and especially coming out of it because, of course, the Patriots underwhelmed. They bombed. And so I think Kraft watched something like the rest of us did that had never happened before in the Bill Belichick era. And it's true. It's week four. It's true. The Patriots could, as I just said, win two games and move on to three and three. And I'm out. I want to make something very clear because – I understand, like you were saying, it's easy to be negative. And it is. That's what we've seen. No one that I speak to, no self-respecting member of this media corps, wants them to lose or takes this in any way personally. Like, generally, our lives are more pleasant when the Patriots win and the players are more open. Belichick, eh. But you know what? Like, that's how it is. We're not rooting for this. So when I bring up the possibility of Robert Kraft firing Bill Belichick, it's not at any sort of, like, vendetta against Belichick. I look at his record. As Robert Kraft knows, since Tom Brady left, it's 26 and 29. Whatever that winning percentage is, is it's below 50. And when you don't have playoff wins, perhaps going on five straight years, I don't know how many coaches with that winning percentage and that lack of playoff success can survive. And especially when you are also in charge of the roster. Because when things are going great and you're winning Super Bowls and you're squeezing all this value out of just team-friendly deals, you get all the credit. Bill built the roster. He coached the team. He won the games. Good for you. When you're losing... And the roster talent from anyone I've talked to across the league says this is average. That's why they're losing. And you're making coaching mistakes, you know, falling behind game plans in games where they've allowed 10 points in every single game to their opponents on their first two drives. Like your defense just gives up a touchdown field goal to everyone except for the Jets, and that's it. That's a failure of coaching. All the offensive stuff we talked about, you're to blame. And that's why I think if they finish worse than 7-10, and 10, I-, I would not be surprised whatsoever that this is Bills last year. Uh, I agree. I think it's on the table. Uh, you bring up record. The record he has and is ha- continuing to have is worse than what got Pete Carroll fired as that Super Bowl roster petered out in the late 90s. So Robert Kraft has been down this road and made a tough decision before. Obviously, this is different given Bill Belichick's contributions to the stadium we sit in and everything that goes into New England football. So they're one in three for the third straight year. First two of those years, They at least were in the conversation of the postseason or sort of righted the ship enough to be a legitimate team for most of the year. They take on the Saints, another team that's kind of a questionable team right now. Where's their season going to go? Um, I don't know if you want to do a score, need to do a score, but what are you expecting on Sunday? Do the Patriots at least show up and compete and we're talking about a football game or are we taking weird steps down the lost season? This is a Spider-Man meme game. <laughs> you have two offenses struggle to score points. Very sound, well-coached defenses. I think it's going to be an ugly game. And I think the Patriots win 13-12. to 12. But I, I don't feel any way kind of confident about this. This is the same commentary I had going up to the Jets game. Take the under, drink an extra beer or so before kickoff. Like, just hang in. Because, again, I just said that's the formula the next two weeks is drag these games into the mud. Keep yourself a little bit cleaner than your opponent. Because Derek Carr, especially with a sprained AC joint, whatever has going on, shouldn't beat you. But he just might because of the way... You know, your offense is performing the lack of talent now on defense without Judon and Gonzalez. I just think it, these two teams are so close that it's hard to see any other outcome than the one we saw against the Jets and got exactly as we thought, 15 to 10 down there, and something in the range of a one- or two-point game because the Patriots are at home, and they're, they're barely favorites. I think it's one, one-and-a-half right now. So a 13-12 game, you're telling me. Yeah, okay, that doesn't sound overly entertaining, doesn't sound fun, but it is what it is, and it might be a victory, and that may be all they really need right now. He is Andrew Callahan from the Boston Herald. This is Andy Jumbo Hart. This is Six Rings and Football Things reporting from Gillette Stadium with our weekly chat with a beat writer, and hopefully these will be a little bit more upbeat in the coming weeks. 
Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus